Certain films serve the art form as templates, originals that are so pivotal they are not only revered, but frequently referenced, used by subsequent filmmakers as how-to manuals. Textbooks that have added to the grammar and vocabulary of cinema. Want to show the power a single man can have over the entire population? Just look at how Orson Welles frames Charles Foster Kane's vacuous election speech. Want to show the crushing effects of economic privation? Look no further than a father and son wandering through the streets in Vittorio De Sica's drama, searching for the father's stolen bike, and then cutting to him spying a bicycle standing idly against a wall, and we can see him desperately struggling against the temptation to make off with it. Or how about choreographing a battle? Study the framing and cutting techniques deployed by Akira Kurosawa, where the action is so intense, it appears the two groups are fighting not just each other, but the torrential rain as well. Fritz Lang's M is one such film. One of the earliest German films of the sound era, M was released in 1931 and drew on real-life events that occurred in Dusseldorf two years earlier. Then, career criminal Peter Curtin terrorised the city over a 16-month period with a series of sexually motivated murders. When Coerton was finally apprehended in May 1930, he was charged with nine homicides, four of which targeted young children, and a further seven attempted murders. That Coerton drank the blood of some of his victims had him labelled as the Vampire of Dusseldorf. Shocking as Coerton's crimes were, what separated them from previous cases was that Coerton contacted the police via the newspapers. It was the first time a killer had managed to inject himself into the investigation by shielding his identity while simultaneously upping his public profile. In this case, Coerton sensationalised his crimes by perversely sending to the newspapers maps designed to assist the police in locating one of his victims. But this lurch at fame immediately alerted detectives to the fact that Coerton was, despite the frequency of his frenzied attacks, extremely conflicted by his actions as if his communiques were attempts to atone for something he clearly knew was wrong. So, if Coerton knew it was wrong, why did he do it? Compulsion. Which is another reason why Coerton's case proved to be such a phenomenon. Hearing of the crimes in Dusseldorf, Director of Berlin Criminal Police Ernst Gennat coined the phrase Syrian murder, serial killer. Gennat had an extraordinary investigative mind. It was he who set up Europe's first homicide division, and through his innovative technology, he was able to solve 94.7% of the city's murder cases. His system is known today as profiling, where the various teams piece together the information to create a database that describe in detail the type of person the suspect might be. Lang's film drew so heavily from Gennat's techniques that some sequences in the film take on a near-documentary approach detailing the method of investigation. In that way, M marks the birth of the police procedural. And without it, you wouldn't have any of these. Well, you're pretty sure of yourself, ain't you, Virgil? Virgil, that's a funny name for a nigger boy that comes from Philadelphia. What do they call you up there? They call me Mr. Tibbs. All right, Popeye's here. Get your hands on your head. Get off the bar and get on the wall. Come on, move. Move. Okay. So we got a trooper pull someone over. We got a shooting. These folks drive by, there's a high-speed pursuit, 
Ends here, and then this execution-type deal. Yeah. Do you make the three Negroes for the night owl killings? What? It's a simple question. Why in the world do you want to go digging any deeper into the night owl killings, Lieutenant? But Lang did not just depict the method of a police investigation. No, working from a script he wrote with his then-wife Thea von Harbu, Lang flipped the story so he simultaneously depicted Dusseldorf's criminal underworld. And then Lang went even one step further to show the killer, Hans Beckhardt, played to unsettling effect by Peter Lorre, as he is tormented by his homicidal compulsions. However, it must be stressed that this is not done to humanise or elicit sympathy for Beckhardt, but rather to reveal to the viewer the murky depths of the criminal mind. And none of that means none of these. Read Marcus Aurelius of each particular thing, ask what is it in itself? What is its nature? What does he do, this man you seek? He kills women. No, that is incidental. Detective. After this, I'm Detective. gone. No big surprise. Detective! You're looking for me. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. What makes them even more remarkable was that it was Lang's first sound film. We've got to understand that the transition to sound was initially a highly controversial and deeply divisive development. A lot of filmmakers were resistant and extremely hostile towards its introduction. They felt it would radically dilute and interfere with cinema's dreamlike state. The addition of sound would make everything too close to everyday life, thus only increasing its reality while reducing its poetry. But such protests were ignoring the narrative innovations that the coming of sound could offer. There are three techniques where Lang displays an already fully developed understanding of the potential sound offers. The opening scene has a young schoolgirl walking along the street, playfully bouncing her ball. She stops in front of a kiosk and throws the ball against it. We see a bill posted on the kiosk asking the public for assistance in apprehending the killer. A shadow falls across the poster, the silhouette of which outlines the shape of a man. We don't see him, only his shadow. But then we hear his voice addressing the little girl. Du hast dabei einen schönen Ball. The fact that Lang has decided to conceal the man's identity lets us know we are likely in the presence of the killer. The man asks the girl her name. Wie heißt du denn? Eddie Beckman. Then we cut to a woman in her apartment preparing an afternoon meal. We learn that she is Elsie's mother. As the afternoon wears on and Elsie has not yet returned from school, we see Frau Beckman growing increasingly anxious. She calls out to her daughter. Elsie! Instead of showing Frau Beckman calling, Lang cuts to a series of still images suggesting where Elsie might be. Elsie! Or should be. Elsie! Her empty chair at the kitchen table. Elsie! The staircase. Elsie! The attic. Elsie! And then, to a devastating effect, Lang cuts to a wasteland where we see Elsie's ball rolling across the grass. If that sounds familiar, it should be because a ball rolls across the screen in this movie. Then, instead of drowning the soundtrack with ominous music, Lang cuts in silence to an image of overhead telephone lines. 
against which we see Elsie's balloon floating up, getting caught in the wires and struggling to escape. Amid the silence, we infer the worst possible fate. It is sound that links these otherwise disparate images of an empty chair, a staircase, an attic and telephone lines, and it is the silence that dissolves their connection. Aesthetically, would that sequence be anywhere near as powerful if music or any other sounds had been heard? All of which I ask to point out that sound needs to be expressive as well as functional. But it is not just Lang's use of sound that is startling. It is also his editing. He puts together a sequence where Dusseldorf's crime lords have gathered for a meeting. The police's hunt for the killer has resulted in a crackdown on their operations, so they suggest carrying out their own search themselves. As one of the crime lords proposes this, he waves his arm over the table, and on that gesture, Lang cuts to another scene across the city, where the chief of police is chairing his own similar meeting, as he too waves his arm across the table, inviting suggestions from his staff. The police and the criminals are now literally and figuratively moving in unison. And again, if cutting on a similar movement sounds familiar, it should be, because Stanley Kubrick did something similar for this movie. Lang also realised that dialogue could propel the story by leaps and bounds. Late in the film, a criminal gang have managed to track Beckhart to an office building and they break in to catch him. But a very attentive security guard alerts the police and the gang are compelled to withdraw. But in their hasty getaway, one of them is caught by the authorities. Told to put his hands up, he insists, In this instance, I can assure you I am as innocent. Lang cuts mid-sentence from the break-in at the office to the police interrogation room where the criminal continues as a newborn lamb. Orson Welles lifted that device wholesale and repeatedly throughout Citizen Kane. There is only one man who can rid the politics of this state of the evil domination of boss Jim Geddes. I am speaking of Charles Foster Kane. The fighting liberal, the friend of the working man, the next governor of this state, who entered upon this campaign with one purpose only, to point out and make public the dishonesty, the downright villainy of boss Jim W. Geddes' political machine. The device is so effective, Wells is but one in a litany of filmmakers who have used it. Take this movie about another serial killer. I want your full attention, Starling. Yes, sir. Be very careful with Hannibal Lecter. Dr. Chilton at the asylum will go over all the physical procedures used with him. Do not deviate from them for any reason whatsoever. And you're to tell him nothing personal, Starling. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Just do your job, but never forget what he is. And what is that? Oh, he's a monster. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. From a research point of view, Lecter is our most prized asset. And finally, there is the way Lang muses music. When Beckhart lures away little Elsie Beckman, he does so by offering to buy her a balloon. He purchases it from a blind man, and while he is paying for it, he whistles this tune.
Later, the blind man recognises that the whistler has returned, which again is an innovative use of sound because it is obviously the only way the blind man can identify the suspect. So Lang is laying down musical, not cues, but clues. And that is something Alfred Hitchcock lifted, not once but twice, for his own films, The Lady Vanishes. In case I'm unlucky and you get through, I want you to take back a message to a Mr. Callender at the Foreign Office in Whitehall. Then you are a spy. I always think that's such a grim word. Well, what is the message? It's a tune. Tune? It contains, in code, of course, the vital clause of a secret pact between two European countries. I want you to memorize it. Well, go ahead. The first part of it goes like this. And the man who knew too much. When I grew up and fell in love, I asked my sweetheart, what lies ahead? Will we have rainbows day after day? Here's what my sweetheart said. That's my mother's voice! That's my mother singing! What? Certain films serve the art form as templates, originals that are so pivotal they are not only revered, but frequently referenced, used by subsequent filmmakers as how-to manuals, textbooks that have added to the grammar and vocabulary of cinema. Fritz Lang's M is one such film, a movie that startles in its use of sound, light and shadow, framing and editing. Through those techniques, he repeatedly shows us one thing while we hear another. And if you need to leave through cinema's dictionary, and figure out how to shoot a thriller, murder mystery, suspense sequence, there really is only one letter you need to reference. 